morning, everyone. Uh, first, I'd like to thank the elders for this opportunity um, they've given you where I can share some of my thoughts, my perspectives of God's word with you. Um, one of my good friends, Josiah Greeley, um, he attends at the Valley Congregation, and he introduced me to this um, song that some of y'all may have heard of called Reckless Love. And I wanted to read some of the lyrics of that song before I started. It says, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. When I was your foe, still, your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. And here's the chorus. You have been so, so kind to me. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me, there's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down. Coming after me, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, and I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Now, before I go too far, in laying a foundation, it must be understood that God's character is always reflected in his actions. That means he cannot act outside of who he is. So to say that God acted recklessly is to say that God himself is reckless. So while I do believe that the terminology used in the song is an error, the message is still powerful. This idea that God's endless love for us has no restrictions or boundaries is so comforting and beautiful to think about. I read something that says, while we were yet in darkness, his love shined upon our hearts. His love is more powerful than our sin, his love is more powerful than our shame. His love is more powerful than our guilt and pain. His love is brighter than the darkness that we face. For our God is love, and his love overthrows any obstacle that we face. So this is a song that describes the love of God and how it knows no end. So this song really laid out the foundation for my lesson this morning. So I wanted to dive deeper into this image of God's love, and we're gonna go over three ways that describe what God's love is, and then we're going to get practical. When we're talking about the love of God, the first description that came to my mind was fierce. The love of God is fierce, burning with an intensity that cannot be tamed or put out. It's a love that surpasses all understanding, consuming everything in its path. Just as a blazing fire engulfs everything in its reach, God's love engulfs us with an unwavering passion and devotion. It's a love that fights for us, protects us, and refuses to let us go. When we're confronted with trials, God's love stands as not only an image of hope, but something that reaches out for us, providing discipline, wisdom, and comfort. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18. We'll be reading from there in just a moment. Now, in this context, um, Jesus is speaking to the disciples here about children, and then transitions into our responsibilities and qualities we should have as workers in God's kingdom. We'll start in verse 12, Matthew 18. It says, What do you think if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? They should not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. 
This is a very common passage that's referred to when we're talking about God's love and the measures that he will go to. This idea that God will virtually drop everything and chase you up a mountain because he cares for you is so comforting. I'm not one of those like super avid hikers who like wants to go hike 400 miles at a 75 degree incline. I'm not get put out when my mom asked me to take out the trash. But that's not what we're talking about here. God views this as something he wants to do. He wants to do this task. He wants to win me back. It's really amazing when we just stop and think about it from his point of view. I mean, what does he really get from that? He's got 99 more sheep. What's one? What's one lost one? And honestly, I can tell you, I don't have the answer that I can say with complete certainty. What I do know is that he's willing to go to the extreme to save each of us as an individual, and that's something we need to recognize. The best example of God's fierce love is, of course, Jesus. God, being all-powerful, could have chosen any way to save us. He didn't have to send Jesus. But because he knew us and understood how our minds worked, Jesus sacrificing himself was the best avenue in which God expressed his love for us. John 15, 3 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. He knew that the only way for us to understand the gravity of our sins and the abundance of God's love was to have his only son come down to our level and be crucified. Now, not only is God's love fierce, but it's relentless. God's love is relentless in its pursuit of us. It chases after our hearts, never giving up or abandoning us, even in our darkest moments. It's a love that fiercely declares our worth and value, reminding us that we're cherished and loved beyond measure. God's love is relentless, pursuing us with a tenacity that knows no bounds. In our darkest moments, God's love remains constant, illuminating our path towards our ultimate goal, which is heaven. Every time I hear the word relentless, I think of Rocky. And for those who know who he is, I think we all know that he's the word relentless personified. He's known for never giving up no matter how many times he got hit. Now, if we can translate that image into spiritual terms, we can see how God will always love us. He'll always reach out for us, and he will never stop fighting for us. No matter how many times we push him away and try to get him out of our lives, his hand will always be there for us to grab a hold of. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Isaiah 55.6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God is accessible to all, and he's constantly making himself available. God's love is fierce. God's love is relentless. And God's love is, of course, unconditional. I'm going to Luke 15, for those who want to follow along. Luke 15, we'll begin in verse 11. Luke 15, we'll start in verse 11. It says, And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. 
and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and on his sandals on his feet. And bring us a fattened calf Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. So quick recap. Father gives the son the inheritance. The son goes out and wastes it all. He comes back to the father and he's waiting there with open arms, ready to celebrate his return. How does this relate to us? God has graciously blessed us with his beautiful life. And he allows us to do what we want with it. We can choose to use it for God's work, or we can throw it away and live a wasteful life, bearing no fruits. If we choose to waste it, then it would be over. There would be no hope of heaven. If we didn't have a God who had an unconditional love for us. But because we do, there's always a way to come back home. God leaves the door open for anyone who's willing to turn their life around and come back to him. For those who know me, one of my favorite songs is Ain't No Mountain High Enough. But the chorus in this song goes like, There ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. Now, this song's about some dude trying to get some girl, but the words really got me thinking about how there's no distance that I can go. There's no extent to my sin which would stop God from loving me. When we say it out loud and go through all the things that we've done, it makes us realize that we're not deserving of anything, let alone the personal love that God shows us. The gravity of this thought is really hard to take in because of our guilt. But we can find comfort in knowing that God's love overpowers our guilt. Now this isn't to be confused with God accepting us all of the time. God's love does not equate to acceptance. Love is a gift that he gives us, and acceptance is something that involves action on our part. God shares his love with us, but what are we supposed to do with it? To close out the lesson, I made three steps on what we're called to do with God's gift of love. So we can talk all day about what God does for us and how much he loves us, but just because this love of God is immeasurable, unmistakable, and unending, this love of God that reaches to wherever a man is can be entirely rejected. God will not force himself upon anyone against their will. It's our part to believe, and it is our part to receive. Nobody else can do it for us. We have a role to play. God's love reaches out to us, but we've got to be willing to accept it. And when I talk about receiving God's love, I'm talking about truly understanding what God's love looks like in our day-to-day -day life and acting on that. God's love is so hard to grasp, but God wants us to understand how much he loves us. So we sent Jesus his son, to die for the whole world to see, 
just so we can have a physical manifestation of God's love to make us understand. To make us understand that God loves us, but also to make us understand the why behind our service to the Lord. Our Bibles are a great symbol of God's love. We've generously been given God's word as a set of instructions set out for us, and we need to take advantage of it. God has not only provided us with a life, but he's prepared us a home in heaven and given us the instructions on how to get there. Now, that all sounds really simple when I say it, but then I ask myself, why haven't I even touched my Bible outside of the church building? Why do I have time to look at my phone for hours on end but not spend 10 minutes reading my Bible? It's easy to talk. In SBS this past week, we spent a good chunk of our time talking about our faith and how without works, it's as good as dead. James 2.19 talks about how even the demons believe there's only one God. God's given us everything we need. But because I don't dedicate some of my time to learning more about my creator and applying it, I'm no better than the demons. We need to spend more time in our Bibles so we can have a better understanding of the one who loves us most. The second thing we need to do with God's love is to reflect it. Now, when we're talking about reflecting, we're talking about other people. We're talking about showing God's love to other people by how we act, by evangelism. So let's set up a scenario here. Let's say I'm an avid swearer, constantly making crude jokes, and I go out and drink all the time. It's the first thing someone is going to say about me, man, you must really love Jesus. Of course not. The things we do show people our morals and our values. So if I go out and do all of these immoral things, it shows them that I have an immoral heart. This past week, we studied the book of James and went over what our tongue is compared to and what to do with our tongues. And in Luke 6.45, it says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart of his mouth speaks. So if we're receiving God's love, if we're constantly learning more about Jesus and his ministry, it will naturally fill up in our hearts and manifest itself in our daily lives. Now we filled up our hearts with God's love, and as it says in Mark 16, 15, that we're called to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The only way to truly reflect the love of God is to show them Jesus. We need to be evangelizing like our souls and theirs depend on it. Because they do. And in the same way that we've been led to Christ by someone else, whether it be a friend or a parent, we should feel an urge to lead others to Christ as well. By receiving God, we can then reflect out into the world. But after that, we need to be giving God the praise and glory. I think the idea that God loves us so much is wild to us because we don't deserve it. And we know we don't deserve it. While I was yet in sin, his love pursued me. And if we start to think about it, what does God benefit from us? God saving us just as it doesn't make any sense. There's no benefit that we know of that helps us understand because we know that God doesn't lack in anything. And I don't know God's reasoning. I don't know. But I do know that God does everything with a purpose and not recklessly. God made us with a purpose and he loves us. And we need to acknowledge that. God created us and loves us continuously. And the very least we can do is reciprocate his love. 
When someone has given you a gift, it's natural for us to respond with a thank you of some sort. You can return it with another gift or just a simple thank you. I think there's something within us that when we receive something, we naturally humble ourselves a little and give thanks or praise to the one who gave us that gift. Now, if I feel the need to do this to someone who gave me 20 bucks and a Star Wars gift card on my ninth birthday, how much more should I be doing this with God, the one who gave me the perfect gift? Because of God's love, we're blessed with so many more gifts. Everything in our lives comes from God, and we need to recognize that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We must make sure that when we do something, it needs to be to the glory of God. All the way from when we eat to bringing a soul to the Lord. We need to do them to the glory of God. But we also need to give God the praise that he deserves. We're giving these blessings, and we need to overtly set time aside where we tell God how great he is and how grateful we are that we're able to play a part in his plans unfolding. We need to constantly be in prayer and build our relationship with him. In an intimate relationship with the Lord, communication is imperative. Communication, in turn, builds faith. And having a strong faith in the Lord will grow into a love for him. And we express that love by doing his will and giving him the glory for it. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, and we'll start in verse 31. Romans 8, verse 31, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We were designed to desire a love as great as this. And because of Jesus, we can all experience that love we were created for, a love that can only be found in a relationship with God. God's love isn't just general in nature. It's deeply personal and directed specifically towards you. You are the target of God's love, and he's calling for you specifically to accept it. He's calling for you to accept him into your life by being baptized becoming a Christian, by becoming his child. If you need to be baptized, the water's ready. If you need the prayers of the congregation, there's no better time than to do that right now, whatever your need may be. 